feature presentation. Welcome back to another untitled movie review from TIFF 22. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside he's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Matt, we are covering films that we did not review during the Toronto International Film Festival. So for the next couple of weeks, uh, if you're listening or watching, you will be seeing quite a few movies, uh, as you have said before, trickling out. Um, you know, we, we have stuff planned and prepped already, uh, as you're hearing this, our review for Pearl is probably already, uh, out. Um, and so we'll be, uh, upcoming movies like the greatest beer run ever and, uh, even how to blow up a pipeline. So there's plenty of stuff to listen to and enjoy on top of triangle of sadness, banshees of Inisher, and empire of light, the whale glass onion, the fablemans bros, brothers. I like movies and as weird, the Al Yankovic story. Uh, and then as Eric mentioned, we will be almost putting out a review per day. It might not be every single day, um, but we are going to kind of spread out the rest of our TIFF content over the next couple weeks so over on the reviews channel which you're already on if you're if you're listening to on podcast services or over on youtube and we're back on video and with good microphones as you can hear um yeah we just decided halfway through the festival that you know we got some of the heavy hitters out women talking was one of those heavy hitters that we wanted to get done during the festival but due to scheduling and it was i mean you can listen to our wrap-up show over on the untitled movie podcast uh episode 132 as well um it just became kind of difficult and we weren't we like that kind of on the ground feel but um obviously this is i think a way better environment to review some of these movies so i'm glad we're back at home uh it's sweater weather eric and we're going to be talking about sarah Polly's women talking yeah, it, so this is one where just to to preempt this just a little bit where like you know I don't know if we can bring a greater insight to this sure. being two cis, you know, white gender men and 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 what have you. So, you know, we want to be um you know, as 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 perceptive and 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 as open and as honest as we possibly can, but we also realize that if we miss something that maybe someone else can bring to the table in terms of criticism, maybe this totally. isn't the first place to go to for uh, no. this review. There's other stuff out there that's much more kind of succinct and well written and detailed. So um, take that with 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 what you you know with with a grain of salt from us. But but again, you know, we both love the movie. Uh, yeah. Spoiler alert. Um, but yeah, it's 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 always good to have different perspectives, and you know, so I I think both of us can say that we're advocating to read other um, reviews, especially from the point of view of of women. So please do. I that. absolutely agree with that. Pause this, and if this is the first review you're listening to, go seek out some of that criticism. I I still we have an opinion on the movie, and we both yeah, yeah like Eric mentioned, uh, we loved it. But I totally agree with Eric's uh, sentiment there. Um, but Eric, it's been over a decade, uh, I believe, since Sarah Pauly directed a feature film. Stories we um, tell, yes. So she's directed three feature films before Women Talking, uh, Away From Her, Take This Waltz, 
and the documentary Stories We Tell. Um, this is her fourth film, an adaptation of Miriam Taves's novel of the same name. Uh, it takes place within a Mennonite community in 2010, although when you're watching it, you'll think it takes place in the uh, 18th or early 19th century because of the old-fashioned sort of ways about the community. Um, what the story is essentially is a group of women converse in a barn as the men are away trying to bail uh, out rapists and sexual predators of whom have been drugging and raping the women who are having a conversation. And the conversation surrounding the topic is mainly to decide whether they stay and do nothing, stay and fight, or leave. And within this barn, you have some of the best actors working today, giving incredible performances, ranging from Rudy Mara's more uh, idealistic kind of point of view to the complexities and just pragmatic perspective of Jesse Buckley, who is just giving an incredible performance to Claire Foy, who <laughs> anger and frustration yeah. represents those who might not want to speak for themselves. And with that, you have these three heavy hitters, but you also have people like Sheila McCarthy, um, who gives such a subtle and nuanced performance that's both just so upsetting and tragic, but you feel the moments of which, you know, the pain and hurt are coming out and still trying to figure out what happened to you and, and, and how abuse takes a very pivotal role in this, but it's also not all tragic. And that's something that I'm going to be talking a little bit about as well, because Kyle, my brother Kyle and his partner Heidi also saw this movie and they attended uh, public screenings in which Sarah Pauly was at both of them. So I think it's, it's good to have that perspective as well. And Sarah, one of the things that Sarah Pauly talked about was that she wanted to make sure that there was some levity in the film yeah. and that it wasn't all completely focused on this very serious subject matter, that there were moments where you could break and find, you know, community and communal kind of qualities within it and moments of, you know, relating to one another and understanding and break that tension, you know, not dissimilar to how we were talking about that in how to blow up a pipeline where you need those moments to kind of balance the more kind yeah. of serious heavy and yeah, subject heavy nature of the movie. Yeah, totally. And I think she absolutely nails it. You, you mentioned like the absolute heavy hitters that you have in this movie and it is an actor's kind of showcase, but it never feels showy. Um, it's a very, you know, you know, stage-like movie because it is basically in one singular location through a series of meetings in this barn. Uh, but it never feels stagey in the negative way. Uh, I feel like Sarah Pauly um, uses editing techniques really well to show some of those flashback and those disturbing sequences and really, you know, uh, quick um, moments while people, while these women are talking in this barn. Um, I love the editing, um, those performances from Rooney Mara and Claire Foy and Jesse Buckley, um, shout out to Michelle McLeod as well. A local actor from Toronto. Um, I actually is a friend of a friend of mine. Uh, I met her at a party a couple weeks ago, a, a wonderful, uh, woman who gives a very great performance as well and has uh, one really great sequence uh, where she experienced uh, an anxiety attack. And I think she's great in the film as well. Um, 
I thought the score was wonderful. Um, you'll get into some of the uh, cinematography, maybe things, issues that you had, Eric. Uh, that didn't bother me so much. But um, again, much like How to Blow Up a Pipeline, I just think it its use of editing in flashbacks, I think, uh, is what I think is most effective in the movie because I feel like it could have felt very showy and, and stage-like because it is very much, like I said, like an acting piece of, of and, and could have maybe gone you know, overboard in moments. Um, but I feel like it never, never quite does. And I feel like it all feels very grounded. And those moments with that Sarah Pauli uses in those flashbacks are brutal and, and, and disturbing. Um, but it never feels gratuitous or, or lingers on them long enough to make it feel kind of, um, exploitative or anything like that. Like it really is just showing the pain that these women went through. And I think it was really effective showing those in those flashbacks and, and yeah, the cast is absolute, you know, dynamite. And, and it is just like a, a, it was a powerful experience and I just really enjoyed it. It was one of the first movies we saw. It, it lingered with me throughout the whole festival. Um, and it just shows like Sarah Pauly, please don't take another 10 years off because she's very good at this. Yeah. I mean, she hasn't been completely absent. She, no, she she's done some short episodes films and, stuff, and yeah. of, uh, a, uh, I think it's alias grace. The, the, uh, Margaret Atwood. I just mean from features, right? Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. No, and I agree with you uh, with that. And, and I mean, she's also a wonderful actor as well. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, watching the film, you know, you mentioned kind of the the stage equality and the blocking of it is 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 beautifully done. And I think the direction can be taken for granted in in terms of like what totally. she is doing in terms of you know getting amazing performances out of a, a, an ensemble cast that's incredible in this movie, but also how you know people sort of move from one location to another within the barn, in I think is barn, important. Yeah. And the way that like the conversation kind of turns itself and sort of the debates that go on back and forth. And, and it it's very much in that vein of Sidney Lumet's 12 angry men, where it feels like it is a courtroom drama. It feels yep. like it is a jury pool having that conversation before making a verdict. And, it's the modern day version of that in a lot of ways. It's completely compelling and it shows you that you don't necessarily need a lot of flashy film sort of language or film literacy in order to tell a really compelling story. And it's also really important. And this is something that Sarah Pauly did talk about during those Q and A's is that she doesn't turn the Mennonite community as a whole into, you know, a, a, a sadistic or D yeah. demonizes them in any it's way just it, this, it, it's just this yeah. one specific community she yeah she doesn't treat the like she i think her quote was like it's not she doesn't turn the the, the mennonite community into a monolith and yeah. so like that's important to, to mention as well and, and i think like one of the key sort of topics at hand in this film and just thematically is the dismantling of the patriarchy. And that's kind of like the key point. It's like, okay, well, yeah. how did this happen? Why did it happen? How can we stop it from happening? And it all stems back from, you know, generations of boys becoming men and learning the habits of the generations before and being and, taught. Yeah. And we do have one male character played by Ben Wishaw, who's basically documenting what is going on and remaining for the most part as a neutral party, even though he has uh, feelings for Rooney Mara's character. And so with that, you're seeing the perspective of, okay, this is a guy who was excommunicated, but then came back to the community to teach. And he has that perspective. Okay. Like you can see 
you know, these young boys, these children that aren't corrupted slowly, but surely learning the old ways. And yeah, because you're not born bad, right? You learn. No. To be and it bad. makes a really and... great argument that it's not just simply, you know, it's, it's the nature versus nurture argument in a lot of ways. But again, like it's looking at how the patriarchal system needs to be taken apart and analyzed and then also rebuilt in a way that is more equal and fair to everybody and And that to be taught very early yeah and what what the women want in this barn is like the bare minimum oh totally you know like it's not it's it's nothing like radical like even though i mentioned you know rooney mara's character being an idealist like even the things that she wants is just like basic human rights and necessities to live in a place that you're not afraid for your own life or your children's life. And there are moments in those flashbacks that you mentioned. And when it abruptly cuts back to the present and you know why a certain character needs medicine, or you know why a certain character has dentures, it makes you so angry um, at what these, these men are doing. And it, but it never makes it about them either, which I think is also really, really key to this story it's now i did about the women yeah yeah now i did have a problem with the cinematography just in the sense of that it reminded me a lot of like a tom stern clint eastwood collaboration if you've watched any of those movies from i'd say uh around mystic river to grand torino or sully sure. it has that kind of gray kind of beige look to it but again polly in those q a said that she was partly inspired by photography of of uh, Mennonite communities and originally was going to shoot it in black and white, oh, um, but decided not to because she wanted, she felt that it was too, like literally if you're shooting in black and white, there's not a lot of um, depth there or discrepancy. There's, there's, it's more kind of like, again, harsh and it's, it's sort of rationalization or, or, or it's what it's trying to tell you. So there's, there's more of a, um, what's what's the word i'm looking for there, there there's it's more complex than than yeah. just simply telling a story that's like has like a good or bad side that's and fair. i think that's yeah. even reflective of someone like jesse buckley's character who is the most complex and being complicit to some of the violence towards the women in terms of her husband klaus his that character yeah absolutely i don't disagree with you on the cinematography cinematography thing i just i don't think it really um bothered me at all like I, I was so kind of compelled by the actual film that i it, it it never wowed me in its cinematography but it it i didn't think it needed to and i felt like it accomplished what it and i know you're kind of in that same boat it's just something yeah. that you 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 did kind of you did notice it more than i did so i, I but it I could have been that. a ball it could have like we've been talking on the regular show about how you know the scotiabank theater didn't have the greatest projection and we saw this at the varsity and i do wonder if that was a similar situation because it did feel or look a little darker than it even should have been i think that's just when you see movies at cineplex right like yeah and that could be it so i'd be curious to see if you if you see this again or which i want to yeah um on 4k or at a great theater like the light box or something like that I, i'd wonder if that um that would change at all um going back to the ben um wishaw character like 
I, I like Ben Wishaw a lot. I, I felt like at first it took me a while for me to get into his character because I, I felt like the American accent that he was doing, it just threw me off. And maybe that's a personal thing. Just I think a lot of the times when you know what someone sounds like and their original accent, like maybe that's just a me thing trying to go, who is his American accent? good or am i just because it's ben wyshaw doing an american accent is that throwing me off a little bit and i felt like you know at first i was like Ooh, i don't really like him in this character but then he does have some great moments throughout the movie that do, do win you over i just it was like him in overalls using that accent i just like threw me off a little bit yeah um, i i understand what you're saying there but i think he does some interesting stuff in terms of bottling up his own emotions and not making it about him even though you know his own mother was somebody that yeah he talks about in a way that was a very positive influence on him and was very much in that same sort of vein as Rooney Mara's character who you know was a fighter as much yeah. as as she was you know a, a caretaker and we learn of that as well and like there's just a couple moments where you can really see that in terms of how he's able to internalize those emotions in in, in a very um earnest but um emotionally powerful way that doesn't distract from the story at hand and i think that that's really well done but i also understand where you're coming from like there are just some actors that even when they're doing their best work it's usually the opposite way around when it's an american doing oh uh, totally a, a European that's even worse where, but... where worse but in this case yeah i can i can understand with some of uh, his natural dialect kind of maybe slipping out there a little bit, but it, it's also interesting because I think the original story was supposed to take place in, in Eastern Europe and in, in, in Bosnia. So interesting. It, it was shot in uh, Ontario. And again, like it's not saying all uh, Mennonite communities and even, you know, the, the author of this book, uh, Miriam Taves, comes from a Mennonite community and she's explored that as well um, in the lesser uh, adaptation of uh, All My Puny Sorrows, which is not a great movie, but it shows you that like her work with the right filmmaker can really make a powerful and compelling story about religious rhetoric and the idea of dismantling something that kind of has been looming over a community for so long and set in its old ways. So I think like a lot is being said there. And even the song choice uh, was different in the book. Um, the song choice, I won't say what the song is, right. although I, I think the trailer probably when it does come out, we'll have it. We'll have it, but, yeah. but it might not, but the song choice is different from in the movie than from the book in the book. It was California dreaming. So oh, I think that that was kind of interesting. Uh, might've been used. It's been used recently. a lot and even yeah. in covers as well. Like I think, yeah. I mean, when I say recently, I think one of the most interesting uses or of just it, a lot over film <laughs> over time. Yeah. Is, yeah. is Andrea Arnold's uh, fish tank has a cover of that song in, in that movie. That's, that's well yeah. done, but yeah, it is one of those kind of like quintessential movie songs that kind of get, gives a surreal quality to a moment or scene. So, and, and, and I think that that's important again, going back to, the period element of it, you know, it yeah. takes place in 2010, but the whole time while you're watching it with the exception of the it feels prologue, out of time almost. <laughs> yeah. And then when you do have a moment where it kind of breaks that seal, it's very jarring. And again, I think the song comes into play because then you think, Oh, it does. Well, the song with that takes tr place. With the pickup truck, right? Yeah. It yeah. takes place in the sixties, but then you realize, Oh, it's actually the 2010s. Sadly, yeah. 
you know, like a less lot closer than to now. 12 years ago, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, which I think is is intentional for sure. And then speaking of the music, I think um, I'm going to butcher her name and I apologize. Hildur Gundotter? Uh, <laughs> Composer of Joker. Uh, and yeah. Joker, who uh, I really liked her score um, in this movie. I think she's a great composer. Like, you know, I liked her work on Sicario as well. And, and she's worked with Denny Villeneuve um, a few times and worked on The Revenant and, and things like that. But Joker recently, like, I think whatever you think about the Joker movie, I feel like that score even did a lot of the heavy lifting in yes. that movie. And she has Tar coming up. She's doing the score for that as well. Um, and Excited I just, I love her sound. And I feel like it, it really worked for this movie as well. Yeah, I, I'm I'm excited for like because again, when you think of like a lot of of composers, again, it's a very male, yeah, dominated field, right? Where like the only two I can think of off of the top of of my head is 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 her and also you know Mika Levy, um, yeah. in in terms of 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 that as well, and 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 you know nothing against any of the guys or what have you, but like it, it is like it's like you think of you know Morricone and John Williams. And- Was she the first w- woman to win for? best original score i i'm not sure I, female I nominees there's a whole thing on wikipedia we got it we got <laughs> so it okay check only that out 10 right now. only 10 women have been nominated in musical score um and then i don't four women have won uh rachel portman who won for emma in 1966 and dudley won for the full monty in 1997 and hilder uh, I'm just going to say Hilder won for Joker uh, right. in 2019. So uh, the fourth is lyricist uh, Marilyn Bergman, who won for Yentl for original song. Um, and uh, Hilder is the only woman to win the award under no qualifications. Um, interesting. Uh, I don't know what that means. Bergman won for best song score, while Portman and Dudley won for best musical or comedy score. So I guess that's when they had them split up or something like that. Right. Um, interesting. Oh, and Rachel Portman's been nominated for Emma and the Cider House Rules and Chocolat. Um, and Angela Morley, uh, Angela Morley has been nominated for the little prince and the slipper and the rose. So interesting. Yep. Yeah. But again, like a lot of those names aren't as like, I've heard of Rachel Portman before, but like, a lot of those names aren't really that well known, which is weird. Oh, when totally. You consider yeah. that to again, like people like John Williams and Mika you know, Levy is one of those that have been nominated as well. It's only ten women, right, that yeah. have been nominated. So yeah, um, even like Nicholas Patel, who's one of the best composers right now. Where you do, or 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 like even our review for Empire of Light, where we were talk, talking about the. Um, you know, the, the Reznor uh, Ross score mm. and like whether or not they're kind of being spread too thin. Like it just feels like it's always nice to see not even just men and women, but like just going for people that you wouldn't suspect to compose a score and doing something new and interesting with it. And that's kind of what Joker felt like. This has a little bit of that as well, where it's it's not like a traditional Mm-hmm. kind of prestigious awards kind of score but at the same time this movie is worthy of awards consideration and uh, I, maybe we should end with kind of just like talking about that as well because um francis mcdormand has a very small role in the movie but she's also because she was a producer film. so that seems why she did that a little distracting i will yes. say but um but i'm fine with it yeah i mean she helped get the movie made and and putting her name behind something like this is is you know like it's another reason why Francis McDormand is the greatest. Um, 
but yeah, it, it's it's one of those things where, you know, specifically in the acting category, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens because is it going to be a situation? Are these all supporting? I would assume so, unless they decide. I mean, Rooney Mar, I guess, is the closest to a lead. Um, but then you have like that internal competition, right? Where you have people like Claire Foy and Jesse Buckley who are both kind of competing for supporting actress slots. And now maybe it'll be a little bit easier with like Michelle Williams going for weirdly going lead, right? But but that doesn't even matter sometimes because the campaigning of 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 those things. Where she still might get nominated for supporting. Yeah, because Kate Winslet was that was that example of of the reader where she was campaigned for supporting for the reader and lead for Revolutionary Road that year in 2008. But then she got nominated for an Oscar for Best Actress and won for the reader um, where her role in the reader, I would say, would maybe qualify more as a supporting part. But Michelle Williams really is a supporting part and not a lead. Um, So. Again, I don't know what's going to happen here because you have about three or four performances that could that be nominated. Worthy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, maybe two out of them make it in, like into supporting. Um, or one I don't know like how spotlight, strong, right? Yeah, I don't know. Like how in each category, because Rachel McAdams got nominated for spotlight, and then Mark yeah. Ruffalo in supporting. But a lot of people were thinking, oh, Michael Keaton and Mark mm-hmm. Ruffalo could get nominated. But there has been. It really recent... just depends on how how tough the competition is this year, and I can't think of supporting. I know Michelle Yeoh is probably the front runner for lead actress. Is that? Yeah, but like, but speaking yeah. of everything, everywhere, all at once, you have someone like Stephanie Hsu. Yeah. Um, who's a contender. Even Jamie Lee Curtis has been touted as getting a, a, a career nomination for supporting for that movie. Um, you have people even, you know, in, in movies that are more divisive, like Triangle of Sal- Sadness with uh Dolly uh De Leon, you know, in in as Abigail in that third section of the movie, um, making a a, a big impact. So yeah. um there's a, there's still a lot to consider, especially within the supporting races, but yeah, it's like one of those things where it kind of feels like you could have two or three or everybody cancels each other out. Yeah, that's a good point, too. Uh, all very worthy. Uh, the movie is very worthy. You should absolutely go check it out when it comes to theaters in December. Uh, December 2nd, it comes out. Uh yeah, in limited, and then it'll expand after that. But um, it is excellent. I'm going to give it a four and a half out of five. I really thought it was great. It was one of the top films I saw at the festival. Um, when we did our uh, recap episode or a wrap up episode, um, it was kind of in that upper tier of five movies that I thought were very, very excellent. So I'm going to give it a four and a half. Yeah, I'm going to give it a four and a half as well. I originally gave it a four on Letterbox, but again, I think talking about it, I, I, the only thing that's keeping me from giving it a five is just maybe wanting to rewatch it again and see it in better projection uh, just to, you know, and and it's an aesthetic thing. It's just, that's just on me than the film itself. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not ugly looking. No, no, not at all. Like maybe your personal preference. It was just not, uh, you'd like it. Like I'm assuming it was shot digitally too, because it didn't look like it was shot on film. Right. Um, yeah, I would have liked a filmic look, even though, you know, even though it is in 2010 (laughs) to your point, but it does have that kind of period look to it. But, 
Um, I agree with you, but I, I, I just, yeah, I think we're both pretty much on the same page. It's excellent. So go check that out. Uh, go check it out. Um, thank you all for listening or watching. We really do appreciate it. Uh, you can check out all of our TIFF reviews. I don't know if we mentioned them on this episode. We've recorded so much, uh, but we have reviews for Weird, uh, I Like Movies, Brother, Bros, Glass Onion, The Fablemans, The Whale, Empire of Light, The Banshees of Inishir, and Triangle of Sadness, Pearl, uh, more, uh, you guys can check all of those out. Um, women talking was the runner up to the people's choice award, uh, the first runner up. And then, it, um, it was Men's people's choice. Yeah. Women talking, then glass onion, which I'm a man of the people, Eric, they were in my top four. <laughs> so, um, I don't know what that says about me other than, yes, I am a man of the people. So, um, great movies, great choices. Um, can't wait for everyone else to see them um when they come out uh one stop shop for everything just head over to untitled underscore movies over on letterboxd and as always you can find more of my work around the internet but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com and you can follow me on all those social medias at matt Rohrbeck. and i'm eric Marchin. you can find more of my video reviews on rogerstv.com slash cinema scene including the latest episode uh which features matt and i talking about the toronto international film festival and the wrap-up of it so if you haven't listened or watched the untitled movie podcast version which is two plus hours it's a beefy boy um and you want something that's a little bit more uh, compact, you can you can go and check that out. Or if you want both, they're right there for you. So go check that out. I'll be posting about it uh, when it's available uh, on the site, on my social medias, at EM6211. Until next time. Matt Rohrbeck, man of the people. You should put that on a business card. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Bye, everyone.